0: Job chapter 1, you need one of those Nerf guns is what you need, you know, okay, Job chapter 1, we'll read verse 20 and 21, then we're going to chapter 2, and I need you to read verse 8, so we're reading verses 20 and 21 in chapter 1, and then chapter 2 and verse 8, so we'll read it aloud together, beginning now. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now chapter 2, verse 8. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal and he sat down among the ashes. Now, if you know anything about the book of Job, this is defeat. And uh, this is the worst day of anybody's life that you could imagine. I know a lot of people have bad days, bad news, but Job's experiencing it right now, and so you find him sitting down on ashes. Father... The classroom that you use to teach us about yourself is not always comfortable. As a matter of fact, it rarely is. The way that you teach us about yourself is outside of our comfort zone. It always is. It always, almost always is opposite of our own will. It goes against our very nature. Everything about you is different than us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us with this evening, and next Sunday evening, to learn to just let you work. Let you teach us about who you are. Because you're not somebody to be feared and and terrified of. Not now. Not when we understand that you became like us, and you allowed us to crucify you. Lord, you're, you're to be worshiped. And Lord, the greatest privilege is to know you, and to be able to say, I love you, because you first loved us. So Lord, as we bow now in prayer, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a hunger to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Please be seated now. <clears throat> all right, we're going back 2,000 years, as I said, as, since the beginning of this study, to a time when, basically, all hell broke loose in the life of a good man named Job. Now, why would I call him a good man? We're not saying he was a perfect man. But really, this was not a bad man. This was not a murderer. This was not a a, a politician. It wasn't a lawyer. was It wasn't any one of those people that should be, you know, in trouble all the time. No, this was a good man for all earthly perspectives, and yet everything that could go wrong went wrong. This entire book, 42 very long chapters, was written to describe Job's experience. <clears throat> and the purpose of the book was to tell us what God is like. Sometimes we, we, we imagine that the book of Job was written to tell us what it's like to suffer, as if we all need to know. Okay, <laughs> All right? Sometimes misery does need company, amen? And it's nice to read a book like Job and go, oh, okay, at least somebody had a bad day too besides me. But that's not the purpose of the book of Job. The book of Job was to express and to uh, open up and reveal what God is like. And what God did was, he had a classroom prepared for Job, and the only way he could get him in that classroom was to take everything away so that when Job sat down in that ash heap, he was ready to learn. And that's hard to understand because for Job, he thought he knew God. He was not fighting God. He wasn't arguing with God. He wasn't going against God. As far as he was concerned, he pretty well had a good understanding of God. And God said, there's more I've got to teach you. And he put Job in the classroom of an ash heap, which is breathtakingly different than what you and I would do with anybody else. But that's God. So, <clears throat> let's take a good look at the ways that God shows himself. Because a lot of people don't know this, but the fact of the existence of God is self-evident. When you see a painting, <clears throat> do you think that that painting just looked by itself and just became this beautiful scenery? Of course not. You know that an artist created it. You know that if you find a book It had to have an author, amen? If you have a computer, there was a programmer who programmed it. If there's a poem, you had to have a poet. If you have an invention, you must have an inventor. All of creation requires a creator. So the fact of the existence of God is self-evident. A Christian should not have to prove that God exists. Because it is just stupid, but prove to me God exists. And you really just go, really? Really? Just my does my watch exist? Of course it does. This watch, the very existence of my watch, proves that there was a watchmaker. So you shouldn't be wasting time trying to prove the existence of God. But here's the truth. Even though God's existence is self-evident, if I'm going to know God, He has to tell me. I can't find it out. Isaiah, we'll start, let's see, Uh, I'll get, I'll start with Brother Darren. Isaiah chapter 46, Isaiah 46 verse 9 and verse 10. Okay, so if you want to know God, you need him to tell you, I'm him, all right? And God comes along and says, you know what? I can tell you all about the end at the beginning. So if I want to know what God is like, he has to tell me. I take you to another verse, Romans chapter 11, Miss Sherry, verses 33 to 36. Romans 11, 33 to 36. I know these are kind of long, but please follow along. Romans 11, 33 to 36. So Paul here is just going bonkers, going, who knows God? I mean, the riches of the depths, the depths of the riches of just knowing him. What was Paul's greatest wish 25 years on as a Christian? What was his greatest desire? Philippians chapter 3. What was it? That I may know him. All right, so how do we learn about God? It'll surprise you. Because here I'm going to, you'll learn about the God of this universe in these fallen ways. There are actually six ways that I've summarized. I'm only going to deal with three tonight because they are so amazing and they're so deep. So we'll just show you the first thing. John chapter 5, and I'll ask, tell me it's Heidi. Ruth! All right. <clears throat> uh, take your Bible, go to John chapter 5, verse 39. The first... And the only starting place to know God is by the Scriptures. John 5, 39. Okay. So, if I'm going to know about God, and even Jesus here, he says I need to search where? The Scriptures. Because they tell about me. They don't tell about just Moses. They don't tell just about Job. There is Jesus in the book of Job. Actually, every page of your Bible, every type, every symbol points to Jesus. So God uses words to tell us about himself. In the Old Testament, before the Bible was ever completed, God spoke directly to men and women in the Old Testament, mainly to men. Give me a name of somebody that God actually spoke audibly to. Raise your hand. Uh Jennifer? He spoke audibly to Moses. Now, did Moses realize he was God? I mean, he's talking to a burning bush. It's kind of like there's a voice coming out of this thing. Okay, so, Andrew, who else? Spoke to Noah. He said, Noah it's going to rain. Noah went, cool, what's rain? (laughs) Who else did God speak to? Jesus spoke to Paul on the way to Damascus. actually spoke and says, why are you fighting me? Somebody else, Barry. Spoke to Cain, yeah, you had to pick the bad one, that's right. (laughs) Who else? Yes, sir? Adam, he spoke directly to Adam and said, where'd you go, buddy? Why are you running? You're in trouble with me, amen? Uh, Yes, ma'am, who else? He spoke directly to Jonah, very good, I forgot about him. Um, How about Abraham? Who are you going to say, buddy? You know, I don't think God ever spoke to King Saul. Spoke to Samuel, and told Samuel, "Go and anoint King Saul." That was a good guess. Pretty cool. All right, good dude. All right. Second Peter chapter one twenty one, and um, Juliet. Second Peter one twenty one. Okay, so in the Old Testament, God spoke directly to prophets, and prophets spoke out loud, and they wrote it down and became part of the Bible. Now, the truth is this. Job desperately wanted God to speak to him. As a matter of fact, he said, I wish God would open a courtroom so I could make my case, and that God would make his case. I just want to hear From God. Um, And the truth is this. To know God, you must begin with the Scripture. You're going to have to have what God tells you about himself. I cannot tell you about God. God tells you about God. That's why you need the Bible. Can anybody get saved without a Bible? No. Nobody gets saved without a Bible. I say that because... You don't know Christ without the Bible. You don't know what you're trusting without a Bible. Now, when when I say it, I wonder if you think that somebody has to actually understand the Bible. Is that what you're trying to think? No, I'm not trying to say they understand it all. But they must believe what God said, not what you say. Because I could say anything, and they believe me and go straight to hell. You understand what I'm saying? So, okay. So, it's very important. You will never know God without the Bible. As a matter of fact, you can never find God without the Bible. That's why a scientist will never find God. No matter how hard he ter- looks, no matter how far they look through telescopes or deep in, 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 <clears throat> uh, into atoms with uh, 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 microscopes and so on and so forth, they're going to have to have the Bible. So, how does somebody earn? That's what we're doing every time we get together in church. That's why when you have devotions, that's why when you open the Bible, you're... You're at the starting place of this is how you learn what God is like. So, read your Bible. Because that's the first and, and most important step with sitting in the classroom. What is it that uh, you had Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Jesus comes in, in, in into their house with 12 guests, by the way, and sits down. What is Martha doing when she's got 13 guests in her house? What is Martha doing? She's cooking and she's quickly cleaning up and picking up Lazarus' socks and putting them over in the corner. She's setting, setting up, you know, a, a nice place for everybody to sit down and then she's fixing food. But what was Mary doing? And she was listening to him. She said, if I want to know God, if I want to know Jesus, I need to listen to him. Don't, don't do any expectations. Secondly, Psalm 32, Psalm 32, you learn God teaches you about himself by a teacher. We have a textbook. What's our textbook? The Bible. Who's our teacher? The Holy Spirit. Psalm 32 verse 8. Let's see. Ruth, did I ask you yet? Psalm 32 and verse 8. (sighs) Heidi. Heidi. This is cool. All right. Now, I can't see God's face, all right? But I could see my dad's face. And when I was in trouble, my dad would just go like this. And he was telling me, I ain't got to go with him outside. We were going we to deal with the thing. Okay. So there are times when, when we think God needs to give me a sign. God, show me what to do. But that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. God says, I will guide you with my eye. I will see the end, and I expect you to see I'm pointing that direction. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. I'll show you what I mean. Um, God uses words to teach us, but he also gives us a spiritual sense. It's called discernment. The truth is, Job had no idea what the Spirit of God was that the Spirit of God was recording the book of Job. Can you imagine Job sitting on an ash heap and he's crying out to God, his wife saying, why don't you just die? And Job's like, I can't. I, I, I just want to figure this out. I just want to understand God. He had no idea the Holy Spirit was recording everything. Aren't you glad he's not recording everything in your home? Amen. I, I'm not going back to church. Oh, I'm sick and tired of all this stuff I got to do. Lord, Lord said, write that down. Put in a book. I want everybody to read it from now on. <laughs> wow! Job had no idea the Spirit of God was recording everything he was feeling, everything he was saying, and yet the Holy Spirit was coordinating everything that was going on, so he could teach Job through this time in his life. John six forty four. Uh, Miss Pat, do you mind reading John six forty four? Draw him. Okay, to draw somebody is to attract them and say, come with me, come with me. So, can somebody, is it possible for anybody just to wake up and go, oh, I'll go seek God? Is that possible? No. What happens is God puts things and people and circumstances into a person's life so that they go, I need God. And so nobody finds and goes looking for God without God first working on them. God drawing them. I love him. Why? Why do I love God? Because he first loved me. And that makes me love him back. And I follow him because he came looking for me. That's the truth of this thing. Now the Holy Spirit is that worker drawing us to Christ. Go to John 16 and verse 7, Nita. John 16 and verse 7. If you'll read verse 7 and 8, please. 7 and 8. Wow, so Jesus says, you know, I've been with you for three and a half years. Actually, been 33 and a half years, but I've been doing the ministry three and a half years, and I have to leave because somebody else is going to come and going to do what? What were the three things he was going to do? Yes, um, he was going to be another voice besides our conscience because what happens to our conscience as we get older? Seared, numb, burned out, bitter. So we have another voice now. That goes, ah, 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 ah. don't say that, don't do that, don't go there. And so, and and that's wrong or that's right. So there is a working power of the Holy Spirit. John sixteen and verse thirteen. Now I'm gonna let's see, Miss. Uh, I'll start with uh, Christopher. John sixteen, verse thirteen and fourteen. Okay, so the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, he's also called the Spirit of Truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. Now, that is the work of the Holy Spirit, somebody that is not physically present. And one of the great things about a Christian's life is, I have an influencer. Now, I have several influencers. I have a a, a demonic influencer. I don't even have to have the devil or the Holy Spirit for me to get into trouble. I just have my flesh. So I have every kind of influence. But the Holy Spirit is working in me and on me for what main purpose? To guide me into truth. And the greatest truth is not that I exist. The greatest truth is not that, you know, the earth is 6,000 years old. The greatest truth is knowing God. The greatest truth is knowing who made me and who loved me and gave himself for me. And the Holy Spirit guides us to truth and guides us to knowing God. Which is kinda, uh, missed by a lot of people. A lot of, a a lot of Christians will go through the motions, and I wish it were true, but some Christians go through the motions of reading their Bible and they get nothing out of it. But at least you read your Bible. Amen. But the Bible by itself doesn't, is not magical. What, what is, what is, what did God give us so that the Bible actually changes and converts the sinner? The Holy Spirit. So, whenever you're giving the gospel, I don't have a track on me at this moment, but whenever you're giving the gospel to somebody, that's the word of God, you know, putting that little track, and you go, please read this. And they may read it and go, ho-hum, put it away. But what is the one thing that's got to be put into that situation? It's the Holy Spirit. That's why you pray to say, God, go with me. God, please, let me go to the right person, the right time in their life, where they're hungry, where they're ready, and the Holy Spirit, just knock them out. <laughs> Please, bring them under conviction. Because words on a page, they don't do anything until you believe them. And the Holy Spirit's got to convict you, I need to believe this. I remember, you know, I sat under preaching and it was all nice. I sat listening to the singing. 17 years old, it was all nice. But then there was a day, there was a time on the 15th of June, my very first Sunday night that I ever went to church on a Sunday night. And there as he spoke, it was like, Craig, Craig. Craig, it was like you're talking just to me. And that was the Holy Spirit. Now, what was wrong? Me, I wasn't ready to hear it. I thought that it was, he was talking to everybody else, but not about me. So when the Holy Spirit works, using the Word, things happen. Um, so if you if you are reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit is not alive to you, if the Holy Spirit is not speaking to you, go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, you know these verses, but I'll take a quick look, a quick a quick read here. Verse 27 says this, but my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them the eternal life. So just stop there for a second, just realize, you ought to be able to sense, I know the Lord has spoke to me. Now, it ought to be when you come to church, you ought to know, all right, I know it's, I know it's so-and-so preaching, whether it's Brother Dan or Brother Andrew or it's Pastor Craig, but all of a sudden you realize, no, 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 it's not them. God's talking to me. What they're saying is resonating in my heart. God's saying, that's you I'm talking about. And you need that. And if you don't have that, you need to say, God, my heart is hard, and I want to sense the, 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 the um, not just the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. For what purpose? So you feel good? No, so that I know God. Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus. Go to first John chapter two. I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. Verse nine and ten, Miss Jane. First Corinthians two, nine and ten. He sounds just like his daddy. Definitely like his grandpa, not his for Wow. So the Bible has all the information for me to know God, but I need the Holy Spirit to actually connect the dots, don't I? So the natural man, uh, uh, is, as we know, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're, they're foolishness unto him. But wow, when we are saved and we read the Bible, and we ask, Holy Spirit, please open my eyes. All of a sudden, all the things that your eye can't see, your heart can. So the Holy Spirit, there's four things. Number one, The Holy Spirit draws people to God. John 12, 32 says this, And if I be lifted up, I will draw how many men unto me? I'll draw all men unto me. That's why we preach the cross. And the Holy Spirit directs people's attention as as you preach and as you give uh, give a witness about the crucifixion and what happened there. The Holy Spirit says, Listen to Ledbetter. Listen to this soul winner. So the Holy Spirit draws people to God. The Holy Spirit, secondly, speaks to people's hearts. I can't speak to people's hearts. I'm speaking into your ears. And it just bounces right off. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit takes and drives it deep into your heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to the heart. And you may say something. And I come away from church and I go, boy, that was, that was a dead message. Nobody responded. I didn't have any liberty. And somebody comes up and says, man, you got me. Boy, that was just what I needed to hear. And I go, well, that was just God, man, because I didn't do it. And that is how the Holy Spirit knows how to speak to people's hearts. Third, the Holy Spirit reproves hearts. That's where the Holy Spirit just brings conviction in there. Number four, teaches us. The the Holy Spirit, the greatest work he does is he teaches us about the person of God. That's why it's deadly to live without the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus did not go away and say, you're on your own. Aren't you glad? What did he say? As soon as I go, I'm putting the Holy Spirit and I'm sealing him inside of you because it is it is deadly to try to live without the Spirit of God. It is dangerous to ignore the still small voice of the Holy Spirit of of, of the Spirit of God. So let me say this: If Patrick is, um, I don't know, you don't drive yet, no, nope. but let's pretend like you do. All right, It's good. All right, so um, and. Um, um, Uh, Brendan is in the back of the, is in the boot of the car and the boot is up and you get in the car and you drive off. Alright? Now, it would be really wrong for me to go, Patrick! And you'd go, I'm ignoring him. I'm not listening to Pastor. I've already listened to him for an hour now. I'm not listening anymore. And you drive off and he's in the boot being bounced around. Okay, that'd be bad. But how much worse is when the Holy Spirit that does not yell speaks to you and you just ignore him? So we expect that when there's danger, somebody's going to yell, right? But the Holy Spirit never yells. And it is deadly to ignore the still, small voice of the Spirit of God. So what is the most important time of your day is that time where you tune out everything and you say, Lord, speak to me. I want to hear your voice throughout the day. I don't want you to have to scream because I know you won't. So the Holy Spirit, when he teaches you, We'll speak with a small, still voice. Did you know it's important to never grieve the Spirit of God? What would it mean to grieve somebody? Mona, you ever been grieved by somebody? I have seven kids. You have seven kids. <laughs> yes, all right. <laughs> Some of you know what it means to grieve somebody or to be grieved by somebody. But how often do we think that we have grieved the Holy Spirit of God? Maybe by some sin that we allow in our life. Maybe by some way of, of living. Maybe by just a, a, a not having victory in our life. Just some way where the Holy Spirit's trying to work in our life, and he goes, Phew. he's back at zero. It's dangerous to ignore his voice. It's important to not grieve him. But let's go to Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18. Let's see um uh, Naomi Ephesians 518 oh I'm sorry I thought you had you're looking down so I thought you had a Bible No, Chapter 5, verse 18. You're in 4, are you? There we go. I'm Okay. So I can grieve the Holy Spirit, which means I push him away. I can ignore the Holy Spirit because he's speaking too quietly. Or what's the word? What is it that I'm supposed to do? What is the commandment in Ephesians 5.18? I can be filled with the Spirit, which means yielded, which means I give in to him when he's working and when he's teaching. He wins. So it is vital that we read and hear the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because God only uses the Bible to get us in tune with himself. But the Holy Spirit is the teacher of the scriptures. So, you start with the scriptures. You listen for the Holy Spirit to teach you as you read. Third, the classroom, one of the methods that God uses to teach you about himself is through hard suffering. Let's go to Job chapter 2 now. Job chapter 2, and we'll get in. See, Job did Job have a Bible that he could read every morning? No. Hmm. Did Job have a pastor who called on him and made sure he was in church on Sunday and on Wednesdays? No. Did Job have a place where he could go where they sang and they encouraged one another and they ministered to one another? Probably not. So, what little that Job had evidently was enough. Because it's, he came into this thing ready for God to teach him. The Holy Spirit worked in his life. He didn't have the sealing of the Holy Spirit, but he had the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I do. But the third thing that Job needed that God brought into the classroom was hard suffering. Job chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says this, And the Lord sent it to Satan... Hast thou considered my servant Job? This is after the first set of losses, before his health is taken. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest against me to destroy him without cause. So we usually think of God theologically. I teach Bible Institute, so we teach theology. These are the characteristics of God. But you know, God reveals himself practically, too. He reveals himself, not just through the happy days of our life, but usually through the troubles, the suffering, and the sorrow. Why? Because otherwise, we'll only know God on the surface. Isaiah 55, let's see, Dina. Isaiah 55, please, verse 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Okay, here's a tough t- thought. God, whose thoughts and ways are higher than the heavens. I'm a little ant crawling around on dirt, okay? How is God going to give me any inkling of, of understanding of what he's like? And he uses our trials. He uses our suffering. I don't like it. But Paul prayed it. He said that I may know him. the power of the resurrection, but also he says one last thing. What's the third thing he says? And the fellowship of his sufferings. So God uses trials, troubles, disasters, sorrows, griefs, defeats, so I can learn about him. You can learn about someone by how they... how they respond to trouble. Let me give you an example. I, uh, I asked Mona, Mona, tell me all about yourself. So Mona says, <clears throat> I'm uh, 29 years old. Uh, no, not really. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Mona's going to say everything good about herself, right? Now, Mona, I'm sorry for picking on you. But <laughs> Mona, if I ask, tell me about yourself, you're going to tell me all the good things. Normally, right? Normally. I forgot, she's a woman, she'll tell me all the bad things. Alright, I better find a guy. If I said to a guy, tell me what she's done. He said only the good stuff about himself. Anyway. But just be, but the way we see ourselves, the way we, it's not real. How somebody is when they're under pressure. How somebody is when all of a sudden they lose their job. How somebody is when, when, when they get news about health troubles. What's, you know i i when, when I've done marriage counseling, I sit down with somebody a couple and I say, "Have you ever seen him angry yet? Oh, he's never been angry. Wait for it. okay you ever seen him when she's mad? Uh-huh. <laughs> you still love her yeah, okay, you're all right when 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 you see them as they really are, and what does suffering do? Suffering strips everything away so that who we really are. Sees God as He really is. Because when you're in trouble, like Job was, that's when you want to know God. You don't want to just have a nice home. You don't want to have just grandkids. When you're in trouble, you want God. Does that make sense? Let's see. Uh, 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read this because it's a bit long here. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. First Peter 1-6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, ye are, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. What's heaviness mean? Sorrow. Burden down. Verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye still love him. Even though you're going through a trial, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing you rejoice right now in the trial with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Run down to verse 13. Wherefore, in conclusion... Gird up the loins of your mind. Change the way you think. Be sober and hope to the end. I got one question for you. The end of what? Not of your life. What were these Christians going through? Persecution. Fiery trials. And Peter says, hey, change the way you think about that trial and hope to the end of your trial. Get all the way through for the grace that is to be brought into you. One of these days, you're going to experience another but grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's going to be awesome. So the Christian, in the midst of trials, gets to see God for who he really is. In other words, you can believe what the Scriptures say about God in your head, but God wants us to learn to trust what the Scriptures promise about God from the heart. And you're not going to believe the promises of God until you have to. Um, would you agree that sometimes our own present sufferings really are chastening of the Lord because of our stupidity? Is that true? Do we, do we have problems because we are stupid? Amen? Amen. Okay. But there are some times when, like Job, everything's falling apart, and that's the time when we are in class, and God says, now you will listen to me. You wouldn't listen to me when Everything was going well, so I've got to bring you through this. You say, that's cruel. No, that's God. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Got a few more scriptures and we're done. Psalm 119. Let's see. Brother Dan. Psalm 119, verse 67. I now Okay, so what was the writer of Psalms 119? I like to think it was David, I don't know. doesn't say. but let's pretend it is David. What was David doing before he learned God's word? All right, before he was aff- sorry, before he was afflicted, what was he doing? I did say it right. What was he doing? Before he was afflicted? He was going astray. He seemed to think he could get away with it. He seemed to think it didn't matter what he did. He sort of, like a sheep, went astray. And then God went and grabbed and went, He says, you're not going to do that. And he's like crying, and he's upset. And he says, now I've done what? What is the fruit of it? Of his affliction. And so that he can keep or obey his word. So affliction is not always bad, is it? Let's look at another one. Miss Kathy, if you could read verse 71. You don't have your glasses. Gavin will cover for you. Verse 71, still in Psalm 119. Read that again. (laughs) Wow. So, under the Old Testament, evidently, this is David, maybe... A 1,000 years after Job, and he says, I guess it's been good for me to be in trouble and to go through sorrow because I've learned God's statutes. Another one, verse 75. Brother uh, Eric, verse 75. the All right, what's the way? great truth about the trouble that we go through when God is in control? He's faithful. He's not doing it to be mean, is he? No, he afflicts us because he's faithful to us like a parent would be to a child. I'm not letting you get away with that. I'm teaching you something. Allison, last one, verse 92. Okay, so when I'm going through affliction, what needs to be my focus of attention? What needs to be my delight? God's word, God's law, because I'm being reminded of what God is like. So here's a a statement here for you. You ready? How many of you want to know God? How many of you want to know him better? Let me see your hands. Here's the truth. You're going to have to decide to allow afflictions and troubles as a gift from God, as a teaching tool that God uses. Let me quickly finish. More next week. Got three more next week. Let me ask you some questions. What have we learned so far? Number one, what is God's usual classroom? According to Job, suffering, affliction, ash heap. That's right. Now aren't we in a nice place for for learning things? Amen. But this is not the place where you really learn. I can be so animated. I can have beautiful. PowerPoints, and you get nothing out of it. But when you are at the end of the rope, and you're crying out to God, and God shows up, and the presence of God is there, and you get the peace of God, all of a sudden you go, now I'm getting it. So God's usual classroom is our trouble. Secondly, where do we begin our studies of God? In His Word, in the Scriptures. Excellent. Third, who's our teacher? The Holy Spirit. And lastly, what's the hardest method so far that God uses to teach us about himself? I can't hear. Suffering. That awful, awful word. But I'll show you next week, there's a harder one. You won't like it. But it's what we all go through. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> when we're looking at, at the book of Job, we can look a lot at the suffering. And we, we were talking about the affliction, but Lord, you use that as a tool, as a method to teach us about yourself and about how to trust you. And, how to, and really, we can't trust you if we don't know you. So, Lord, when you get our attention this week, when we are in the middle of a time of sorrow, would you help us to remember to cry out to you and say, Lord, teach me. Don't let this be a waste. Don't let me try to take over and ruin everything. God, teach me through this time. Because I want to know you. I want you to show me who you are when my entire attention is on you. Thank you, Lord, for our troubles. It's hard to pray, but thank you for them. Because... I'm a better man because of the trials I've been through. In Jesus' name, amen.